So I'm sitting right there, and I am really enjoying myself, but at the same time, I don't fully understand what's going on. And my friend starts to, starts to nudge me. You know, we all have those friends that they try to convince you to do stuff they wouldn't do, right? And then he starts to explain to me everything that's happening that I've been missing. He says, the man up front is seeking a volunteer. And then he goes on to really try to convince me I should be that volunteer. And so I look at the rest of the crowd and I realize that the crowd does not have any hands raised. In fact, some of them have apprehensive, even fearful expressions on their face. But my friend just keeps nudging me and keeps saying, you need to do this, you need to do this. And so for whatever reason, I don't remember what I was thinking, I decided it'll be a great idea for me to stand up, raise my hand, and volunteer. And so that's what I do. The man up front spots me immediately, and he gets this really excited look on his face, almost like he never gets volunteers, okay? And so as I'm walking down the stairs, I can hear these gasps coming from the crowd. I'm thinking, what did I just do? I approach the man, and we exchange a few words, and we realize we don't understand each other at all. So he starts to give me some gestures explaining what he wants me to do. He wants me to lie on the ground which is a very vulnerable position, but I do as he says. So I lie on my back and I look up at my friend and what's he doing? Laughing, hysterically, taking pictures. That's what they do. They convince you to do something and then they laugh at you. I need better friends, right? And so I remember I'm looking up at him, making eye contact and without words, I'm communicating, this is funny now, but when we're done, I'm going to kill you. And as all of that is happening, all of a sudden I'm engulfed in this like shadow just blots out the sun. So I turn my head back to see what in the world just happened, and then everything starts to make sense. I start to connect the dots. Because you see, I'm in Thailand. I'm at an elephant farm, watching an elephant show, and I just volunteered for something called an elephant massage. (laughs) And so I'm lying there, And this elephant trainer coaxes this gigantic creature towards me. And this creature raises its foot above me. You know they say your life flashes before your eyes? Well, my immediate and certain death begin to flash before my eyes. And that's when the elephant starts to bring its leg down on top of me and ever so slightly just taps my chest. And then it grabs me with his trunk, which I must say is one of the most bizarre things that's ever happened to me. But what do I know? I'm in an elephant massage right now. I don't know what's normal. And so it turns me onto my stomach and then taps my back just a few more times. The trainer, you know, coaxes the elephant away from me. He helps me to my feet. The crowd begins to applaud. I think partly from the fact they're like, oh, he's brave, but kind of an idiot at the same time. And so that's just, that's just a memory for me. It is, it is such a distinct memory. And I love to tell that story, mostly because I'm alive to tell that story, right? But one thing I want to make note of is that when it comes to stories, there is no better storyteller than Jesus Christ. I mean, he is the greatest teacher that ever lived, and he is the best storyteller that ever lived. And so there's just something about stories, right? We connect to them. 
We want to know what's going to happen with the characters. We want to know how the story plays out, how it ends. We just connect with stories. And so it's really no surprise that Jesus would teach through story. And we know his stories is something called parables. He taught through parables. And so this morning, I want to help you better understand what a parable is. I want to help you understand the purposes behind parables. And so this morning, you get to hear from me and next week from Dusty as we kind of unpack this section of Scripture, which is just parable after parable after parable. But before we do that, I want to help you understand the purposes behind a parable. And so Jesus teaching these stories, the purpose behind them is twofold. What Jesus is doing with these stories is one, he is revealing. And two, Jesus is concealing. And there's an element of both in each of his stories, but one of those elements will always shine through more than the other. So the purpose of revealing. When you've got a parable that is revealing, what's actually taking place there is Jesus is telling a story. And within that story, he has packaged truth. But he has made it to where it's more palatable for us to receive. He's made it to where we're willing to listen to it because it's a story, right? And we love stories. And so a parable that reveals truth is one that we're more willing to hear. One that we are more willing to listen to. And it looks kind of like this. Back in the Old Testament, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see an example of King David, a man after God's own heart, who falls into sin. I mean, he falls into bad sin. He commits adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And then to cover it up, he decides to have her husband, Uriah, who is in David's own army, he decides to put this man on the front line of battle so that he will be killed. And so in doing all of that, David decides to deal with his sin in pretty much the same way we deal with our sin. Just sweep it under the rug. Pretend like it never happened. Because it just goes away, right? Well, God deals with sin, always. So God sends his prophet, Nathan, to the king. And they know each other. They would speak regularly. And so it's really no strange thing that Nathan would approach David. And he says, I've got a story about something in the kingdom that I want you to hear. And David is all ears. So Nathan begins. He says, King, there is a man in your kingdom who is very poor. Yet he has this one young lamb and he loves it with all his heart. He feeds this lamb out of the palm of his hand. His children, they play with this lamb. They just love it with all their heart. And it is the, like, the crowning jewel of their small home. They love it. And this poor man, he has a, a wealthy neighbor. A man that has entire flocks of sheep. And one day this wealthy man has a traveler that comes and knocks on his door. And asks for a place to stay and something to eat. So the wealthy man, he quickly decides that what he does not want to do is take one of his own sheep, kill it, and serve it to his guest. So he goes to the home of the poor man. He takes his sheep, the one that's loved by his family, back to his own house. He slaughters that sheep and he serves it to his guest. David hears this and he is just outraged. He stands up and he pronounces the sentence of, This man should be found and killed. Nathan points at him and says, you, king, you were that man. And David realizes his sin. 
And so packaged in this story is truth. Truth that David was willing to listen to because it came through a story. And in the story, it revealed to him what he had done wrong. And so one of the major purposes behind a parable is to reveal truth in such a way that we're willing to listen to it. Hey, it's a story, but it reveals to us the truth that's behind it. So a major purpose is to reveal. A second major purpose is to conceal And this is something that really hasn't made much sense to me because I've always wondered, okay, Jesus is a teacher, right? And we've got a bunch of teachers in this church. So what if your objective was throughout the semester to say, you know what, I want to conceal everything from my students. Well, you'd have to find a different career path pretty soon because it doesn't make a lot of sense to us for a teacher to conceal. So I've been confused by that. But what we first need to realize is that Jesus is much, much more than just a teacher. He is much more than someone who is just conveying a whole bunch of helpful information. His purposes go much deeper. And so the purpose behind his parables that conceal is this, that Jesus wants to hide truth so that it sifts, so that it will sift through the hearts of his audience so that As this story lands on their ears, they themselves, sort of without even knowing it, will make a decision to leave or to stay. And in doing so, Jesus is separating the sheep from the goat. And he is separating those who are self-seeking from those who are honestly seeking God. We can see an example of this in Scripture in John chapter 6 when Jesus before a crowd of people who were known not just as like like followers, but like literally like they're on the threshold of disciples. But there's a bunch of them. And he stands before them and he says this, You, if you want to be my disciples, must eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? Eat his flesh, drink his blood? You've got to be kidding me. That's sinful, that's cannibalistic, that's immoral. Are you kidding me? And the crowd just gets really, really upset and they begin to leave. They just leave him. But his 12 are still standing there, the disciples he handpicked. And so Jesus turns to them and says, well, will you leave me too? And they turn back to Christ and they say one of the most profound statements in all of the New Testament. They say, but Lord... To whom would we go? You have the words of life. And that is so important for us to get a hold of. And I want to ask you just really briefly, what do you do when you confront something you don't understand? If it's coming from scripture, if it's coming maybe from from a teacher or a preacher, when you're confronted with something you don't understand, do you walk away? This is a difficult teaching. Who can grasp it? Or do you come to Jesus? Because I'll tell you what, the disciples, they didn't know what he was talking about either. But the difference, the difference was that they said, you have the words of life. We're going to stick with you. We're going to continue to pursue you. So what do you do when you confront something you don't understand? Do you seek God more? Or do you give up and say, I'm out? So that major purpose of concealing truth from his hearers is really one of the most important things we must understand as we approach this parable 
today. Because the parable we're going to look at that I'm going to try to help unpack and, and let us understand better is a parable where Jesus is concealing truth. So we're not going to get into it just yet, but if you want to get ready, you can grab your Bible. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 13. It'll be up on the screen. But before we get into the text, I want to ask you to do something and and challenge you a little bit. If you give me the grace to challenge you. I want you to focus on a major theme of Scripture. Because as you open this book from Genesis all the way to Revelation... And everything in between, these 66 books, one of the most important major themes that's overarching over everything else is simply God is revealing himself. God is revealing himself. So this is what I want you to be processing as we get into this text. God, he loves us so much, but yet he is the sovereign creator. But he loves us so much, the creation, that he says, I want you to know me. Because God realizes that in him and him alone do we find true peace, love, identity, validation, and all things good. And so God, because he has a deep love for us, says, I want you, my children, to know me. And one of the major ways he reveals himself is in this book for us. And so as we start to walk through these passages, as you spend time in Bible study just by yourself, I want you to understand this is the God of the universe that is revealing himself to me because he loves me so much. Man, we are privileged to have this book because we can know God, right? And so I want on the forefront of your mind to be, this is God revealing himself. And even in the times where he's concealing something, because in this parable he's concealing That in and of itself reveals the nature of God, that he desires for us to have a heart for him, and that he will sift those, because if those people are self-seeking, then he's okay if they don't understand, because they're only after their own gain anyway. But he wants to know those who have a heart for him. And so God is revealing himself. So I think it'll be up on the screen, but you can turn with me in your own Bible. It's Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says that same day, it's pointing back to the previous passage, so you can just understand the context. It's that same day, Jesus went out of the house, he sat by the lake, and large crowds gathered around him. So much that he had to get into a boat, and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. I just want to briefly draw attention to this. He told them many things in parables. So I think that's bringing us back to the fact that Within this story, within this string of parables that we're going to get this week and next week, it's as if God is holding out this like beautiful package of, here I am, I want you to know me better. Many things he's teaching through these parables. And I want you to grasp them. I want to grasp them. And so I want to ask you just for a second, where you sit, to just send up a prayer to God silently, just asking, Lord, will your spirit... Guide me into understanding. So just take just a second to pray that prayer. In Christ's name, amen. The parable begins in the middle of of verse 3. It says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and they ate it up. 
Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And then he concludes with the sentence, He who has ears, let him hear. Now, this parable is very familiar to most of us. I mean, if you would consider yourself a churched person, you've heard this preached, taught. You may have memorized it. There's probably been VBS themes over the parable of the sower. But if you consider yourself an unchurched person, church hasn't been a big part of your life, the chances are you've probably still heard this story. But I would go as far as saying this. If that's the first time you've heard this story, you're still probably grasping it. You're you're able to understand what's happening here and what Jesus is doing because we have something known as hindsight. And hindsight is what? 2020, yeah. Hindsight is 2020. And, And so we're sitting here saying, okay, it's a story, it's a parable, so we've got allegory. We've got metaphor happening here. And so we're able to understand that there is, that there is truth more than just on the, in the words of the story, but there's actual significant eternal meaning behind it. The seed is the gospel. The soil is our hearts. We're starting to understand that and get that, okay? I don't want to spend a lot of time on the parable itself, though, because I think there's something more significant here for us. But first, I want to point out that sentence that Jesus ends the parable with. He says, He who has ears, let him hear. It it kind of stands alone. It doesn't make sense to conclude a story with that. And and the next line that we have is in verse 10. says, The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? There's got to be a connection there. Between the telling of a story, finished with this sentence that doesn't make a lot of sense, followed by the disciples coming and asking questions. And I believe the connection is that Jesus tells this story and we remember the purpose behind it is to conceal. And so the audience is out there going, hmm, I thought we came to hear a preacher. This guy's talking about farming. What is this? And I think they started to get upset. I think some of them may have even left and the disciples are noticing this. Now they don't get it either, but they're like, um, Jesus... Hold on. These people aren't getting it. They're leaving. Why do you even do this, Jesus? Why do you talk to them in parables? Because obviously, way over their head. But once again, we're brought back to this point to where you've got a crowd listening. They don't get it. And so they say, eh. And they start to walk away and leave. But you've got the disciples who they realize that, hey, even if I don't understand, I need to go back to Jesus. I need to go back to Christ. I need to go back to God because in him is everything, even if I don't get what's being taught. And so they come to him and they ask the question, why do you speak in parables? Jesus answers them, which in and of itself is such a truth. When you go to Christ for answers and you have a humble heart, He gives answers. I mean, ask, seek, knock. God gives good gifts to those who ask. James says, we do not receive. Why? Because we don't ask in prayer. 
So when you're spending time in the word, when you're listening to sermons, when you are putting yourself in a position to hear from God, God revealing himself to you, what are you doing? Are you saying, God, help me in this situation. Help me understand you. Help me learn. Help me gain knowledge. Not for a cerebral, more logical or sophisticated, educated sense of, "Mm, look at what I know, but so I can know the eternal God better. So I hope that you will spend time when you're in God's word saying, Spirit, help me understand this. Jesus, help me understand this. And we've got the perfect example of when the disciples ask a question, why do you do this? Jesus just like opens up, I think, way more than they even bargained for. And so let's see what he says to his disciples. It says, Jesus replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And this way I speak to them in parables. Because though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and then I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. We have this example of the disciples, even though, I mean, I'm telling you, they're as confused as the crowd. But they realize that they need to go to Jesus. And they go to him and they ask these questions. And he just opens up truth to them. And really what he's doing is he's pulling back the curtain. He's showing them his purpose behind his ministry. showing them the purpose behind his teaching. And the purpose behind this parable. And here is where I think we find the meat of this passage. And so we're going to set up camp right in the middle of that section we just read. But before we start to unpack. I want us to finish the parable because it reveals even more truth to us. Because like I said, when you ask questions, Jesus gives answers. And so he finishes out the parable. Starting at verse 18, he says, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. He says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that's sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes from the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. That's a big passage of scripture from verse 1 to verse 23. And so to make this more manageable for us, I want us to look at it in three sections. Section 1, we've got Jesus telling the parable. Section 2, we've got Jesus pulling back the curtain and explaining his purpose behind the parable. Section 3, we've got the explanation of the parable. 
And it's really easy for us to look at this and, and think, okay, well, the parable and the explanation are the two most significant portions here. And I'm not standing up and saying that there's any aspect of Scripture that's unimportant or insignificant. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, you could take the parable and you could preach ten sermons off of that. You could talk about what the gospel is and how it goes into the hearts of men. You could talk about how it lands on us and how people respond to the gospel. You could preach a whole series just on that sermon and it would be good and truth and it would be from God. But when you study a passage, you've got to realize that there is a major theme in every passage. That there is something that overarchingly and more importantly is being emphasized to us from God. And I don't think it's found in the parable and I don't think it's found even in the explanation of the parable. I think it's found in section 2 when Jesus begins to pull back the curtain and show his purpose behind this. Because in revealing his purpose behind parables, it reveals why his audience left. It reveals why his disciples stayed to ask questions. It reveals so much. In fact, what it does for us today, even though our hindsight is 2020, it reveals for us why So many of us, and man, I am totally here, fail to hear the voice of God. Fail to grow in our faith. Fail to submit to all that Scripture teaches and all that the Spirit of God would lead us into. It explains that for us. And man, it's humbling. And man, it's convicting. And man, it is talking about me. And it's in this one sentence. And it's the coolest thing that when I started to study this, and this is my wife's Bible. I lost mine. I left it in the bathroom somewhere. I'm trying to find the heart of this passage. And as I'm studying it, I look down. And I didn't do this. My wife did this. It's her Bible. There's this sentence that has brackets around it, and it's underlined. And I keep reading it, and I keep reading it, and I keep reading it. And I finally think, my goodness, that's it. Way to go, babe. (laughs) Yeah. She didn't even know she was doing that. But she had figured this out. And the crux of this passage, the heartbeat of this passage, is right in the middle of verse 13. It explains so much about the audience, so much about Christ, so much about the disciples. And I'm telling you, so much about me and so much about you. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Uh, uh. You see, that's frustrating, that's troubling, because sometimes we think all I have to do is be present. Just like the audience was present. What's interesting is I've always been confused by this. Because how can you be seeing but not seeing? How can you be hearing but not hearing? I mean, that, that rules itself out, doesn't it? I mean, if you don't understand, all you have to do is go find a man, find out if he's married, and ask him if this ever happens. And I'm going to pick on men for a second because I am one. I'm going to pick on husbands because I am one. So bear with me, okay? Fellas, you're in the living room. The game's on. Your wife walks in and goes, sweetie pie? Or fill in with whatever your wife, my wife doesn't call me that often. Says, sweetie? Can I ask you to do something for me? And because, you know, we're good men, we're good husbands, we say yes, and we turn to her, we make eye contact. Tip, fellas, games on, wife talking, eye contact, right? You have to. 
So you're listening, she's talking, she's explaining. Yes, dear, yes, oh, totally, yeah. But the problem is, two-thirds of your brain is still listening to Bob Costas, right? And he's talking about the game. And so your wife goes, thanks. And you're like, yeah, you bet, love you. And, And she walks away smiling, and you go back to watching the game. And then hours later, your wife walks in, and and you know that look, right? The, what have you been doing? Uh, watching the game. Did you get that done? And then immediately you realize, you don't know a word your wife said. She was talking. You were listening. But you don't know what she said at all. Right? Anybody been there on either side of it? Yeah. All these wives are doing this. We've all been there. So can you see the truth in, you can be seeing but not seeing, hearing but not hearing. Right? You can see that. But Jesus is not talking about just being able to hear, you know, a honey-do list from your wife or from your husband. Jesus is talking about spiritually hearing. Spiritually seeing. And so the problem is not that we're too tuned into ESPN. The problem is that people are spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. That's the problem. That's the problem that's being spoken here in Scripture. And so it's as if we're all tuned in. We want to hear from God, right? Just like husbands, we want to listen to our wife. We we love our wife. We want to make sure we hear her. But the problem is the game's on. We want to hear from God. But the problem is the game's on. You get what I'm saying? And there are so many things in this life that that are fighting for our attention, that are fighting for our affection, for our love. And where you find your affection and your love, you're going to find your eyes and your ears. And I think a lot of it boils down to the words of Christ when he says, man, we've all heard it. Where your treasure is, there your, what? Your heart will be also. Because where you find your treasure, you find your heart. And where you find your heart, you find that your eyes are tuned into that. You find that your ears are tuned into that. And so I think a very appropriate question for me to ask, for you to ask of yourself more than anything else, this is interactive right now. You need to ask, what's my treasure? What is my treasure? Because there you're going to find your eyes and your ears and your heart. You know, I believe that that all people, from the Christian who is completely sold out to Christ, to the agnostic, and everything in between, they are pursuing the same thing. They want the same thing out of life. They want love. Don't we want love? They want to have an identity. And they want to be validated. Man, that's what we all want. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not. We all want love, identity, and validation. The problem is, where are you finding that? From what are you receiving the sense of love, the sense of identity, who you are? And from what are you receiving validation? That's the problem. Because where you receive love and where you receive your sense of identity and what you get validation from will reveal that is your treasure. But let's change our vernacular a little bit. Let's change the vocab word. Instead of treasure, why don't we call it what it is and call it God? Lowercase g. 
Because you have eyes and you have ears for your God. The problem is so many of us have gods, lowercase g, that are not God, uppercase g. Are you following me? And so I want to help you kind of walk through what this actually looks like. Because I think we need to each identify what is that God that you're serving, that false God, that lowercase g God. Because I've had many and I've got some that I'm still dealing with. And so I want to ask you, is your God your job, your career? Are you receiving this sense of love, this sense of identity, and this validation through what you do? You know what I'm talking about. That you're good at it. Man, you're good at it. You're successful. And so you get this sense of like ultimate love from people and even for yourself because of your job and how good you are at it. You get a sense of identity like, hey, well, I'm the, I'm the top salesman. Or I'm the best coach. Or I'm the best whatever it is. Fill in the blank. And that's who you are. Man, we do this in ministry too. We do it through teaching. I struggle with that. My identity is more so about, you know, this idea of ministry than it is about just belonging to Christ. I'm there. I struggle. I fail. Do you receive your validation from your job that you view yourself as, as a success, as good, as all that you need because your job is pouring back into you? Employee of the month, top salesman, winning the state championship, whatever it might be. Is your job or career bringing you this great sense of love, this great sense of identity, who you are, and all your validation comes through your career path? Well, if that's true, then you've created a God and you're worshiping it. And you have eyes and ears for that, but you don't have eyes and ears for God. Not equally, anyways. Now, don't get me wrong. You can love your job. You can really strive and pour yourself into your job. You can be successful at your job. That's not what's wrong. The problem is where we're receiving all things good. Because if your career, your job, and what you do in that job is your hill to die on, then that is a God to you. And you have eyes and ears for your God. It may not be your career. It may be your marriage. It may be your relationship. Boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance. That you are receiving the greatest sense of love from your spouse or from your significant other. You receive your identity through them. I I don't know who I am when I'm single. Or I don't know who I am when my marriage isn't going well. I have no identity outside of my husband, outside of my wife, outside of my boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance. You receive your identity from that relationship. You're validated through that relationship. When things are going well, when you're being a good spouse, when you're being a good boyfriend or girlfriend, then everything comes back to you and you just get the sense of validation. Everything is good. I'm a good person. Then that has become your God. And you have eyes and ears for your God. Now, don't get me wrong. You can completely and utterly honor God with your marriage and with a dating relationship. But if it is the hill that you die on, where you're receiving all things good from That relationship, it's your identity, it's where you get love, you're validated, then that has become your God, your false God. And you have eyes and ears for that, but you don't have it for the true God. And it doesn't matter what it is. If you're a student, it could be the fact, hey, I've got a 4.0, I've never gotten anything but an A. 
And you're receiving everything you need simply through that. If you're an adult that's still in education, you know you're pursuing um, master's degrees, PhDs. Maybe it's how many letters you have after your name. And that's just bringing everything you need. It could be grades. It could be as simple as your own image, your appearance, how beautiful you are, how fit you are. How people perceive your appearance may become your God because that's how you view yourself in every way. I'm validated by how good I look or how I ordain myself with clothes or jewelry or whatever it may be. Guys are guilty of that. Women are guilty of that. It could be anything. It could be as simple as a car, for goodness gracious. I've seen that. The person driving in that car... And they know maybe they have a better car than everybody else on the road. And they've just got this sense of, look at me. And they're, they're, they're actually, it, it sounds silly, but oh my gosh, it's true. That, that they are validated through that. And their identity is found. Hey, don't touch my car. Don't scratch my car. Don't sit in my car. And they're receiving all things good because of a car. This sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But it's true. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. Wherever you're receiving your ultimate sense of love... Your ultimate sense of identity and validation, there you found your God. And where you find your God, lowercase g, there, you're going to find you have eyes for that thing, you have ears for that thing. One of the best ways that you can figure this out is by asking yourself two questions. If you want to figure out, okay, what... I could potentially be serving a God that I shouldn't be serving. It, it might be some false God. You can ask yourself, what brings me, and I want you to ask yourself this, start searching your heart. What brings me the greatest sense of joy above everything else? What brings me the greatest sense of joy and fulfillment? The second question is, what brings me the greatest sense of Pain and loss and failure. Because if you can identify what both of those extremes are, chances are you may be able to identify what your God is. And so as I'm wrapping this up, I just want to bring your attention back to all that Jesus is, all that he is speaking to us. Because, man, I believe that God is speaking. God is revealing himself to us. He's revealing himself through story. He's revealing himself through creation. He's revealing himself through Christians. He's revealing himself through many things, through his word. God is speaking. But most of us are not hearing because our eyes and our ears are tuned into other things. And this is not a so what. This is a, the God of the universe that has control over eternity. I need to be tuned into him. And I need to put to death these other gods. And so what this story is telling us is that Jesus has a heart to reveal himself. He has a heart to make himself known to us. And the real question is, do I have ears to hear him? Do I have eyes that see him? And if not, and I think we all need to make some changes in our life.
think we all do. And so as the band is coming out, I want to be able to give you guys an opportunity as they, as they play this last song. Because, at, at, man, I'm telling you, as I was studying for this, as I was preparing for this sermon, I mean, this worked on me, I think, more than anybody else. And God was like, you know what, you're going to teach this. And so before you teach this, I'm going to start revealing these false gods in your life. And man, I had moments where I'm like, why am I even allowed to teach this? I shouldn't be. And so what this did for me was it just called me to repentance. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to come before God for repentance. Because I think that is a great starting point. And so if you feel led, I would ask you, come down here, get on your knees. Not that there's anything significant about up here. I mean, but it, it's, it's getting up and moving and doing something. So if you feel led, I would ask you to get on your knees up here and just seek God's forgiveness. Ask him to begin to speak to you, that, that you want ears to hear him, that you want eyes to see him. Because remember, he gives good gifts to those who ask And so I just wanted to give you an opportunity to do that and to respond.